0: Alyssa and my pronouns are she her
1: and my name is Maria my pronouns are also she and her
0: and today we are talking about heteronormativity um Mm. yeah mm -hmm. um it's it's kind of a big thing um if you're thinking you don't really know what that is or if you have a fuzzy understanding of what that is don't worry um that's a lot of what this episode is about we'll be talking about it in a bit Um, for those of you that have a more full understanding of heteronormativity and are just wondering what we're going to do in this episode, uh, because how is it possible for us to fit such a heavy topic in one single podcast episode? Um, it's not. I wondered that too and came to the conclusion that, you know, of course, of course we can't. Um, so I'm going to lightly glaze the surface of heteronormativity. just a little, little outline of what we're going to talk about right after this. I'll give a few definitions. <coughs> Dying. Okay, a few definitions. <laughs> okay. I it, totally, totally cool, sexy, adorable. Um, I'll give a few definitions and ways to start thinking about heteronormativity. Um, instead of trying to do the impossible and give you everything you'll ever need to know, this episode is more like just scratching the surface of heteronormativity so we can Hmm. begin to understand how it affects us. Um, Okay, so after the definition stuff, I'll be giving in a second. Um, I will then talk about one teeny little way that heteronormativity is harmful with reference to my experience. Um, And then I will give some examples of heteronormativity in action. And finally, I will talk a little bit about how the people that study heteronormativity think about it and understand it. So, Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's the whole thing. Um, all right, uh, a quick basic definition to get everyone in the same place, on the same plane. Um, heteronormativity is a concept that describes a culture where heterosexual attraction is the default It includes the idea that one man and one woman act the way their gender, heavy quotes should, the way their gender should, should, uh, act, and everyone is expected to be heterosexual and gender conforming. Um, when you hear people say cis heteronormativity, that sort of adds on the idea that people shouldn't be transgender or that uh, transgender people (sighs) don't exist. Um. So that's all bullshit. I, um.
1: <laughs> me. I. I am. I am a figment of your imagination.
0: It's true. You're like a. You're a little ghosty. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that has you know um some nice light blue, light pink, white stripes. Yes. Um. So yeah, I don't. I. I don't endorse any of that. Hopefully, that's obvious. Um. Hmm. That's just. That is what heteronormativity is. Um. <laughs> There's I just to I'm going to sort of beat a dead horse with a couple different ways to think about it or different definitions just so that everyone walks away from this episode with an understanding. So another way to put it um, nice and brief is the social maintenance of heterosexuality as normal, (sighs) Uh, which I really like because that that really just encapsulates like, yeah, social maintenance is like, I don't know. Yeah, that's good.
1: Been... I've I've never heard that terminology used either. I mean, it's so perfect. It's so concise. I love it. Yeah. Um. It's... So, out of curiosity, like, like these, the idea of just heteronormativity being a thing, like, like the concept being named that in and of itself is a fairly new thing, right? I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Little miss history. Um, Look. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm actually. Well, okay. Well, whatever. We'll do our quick shout out now to Adrian Rich, um, who talked about the concept of compulsory heterosexuality in the mm-hmm. 80s. Um, and a lot of people see that as a forerunner of heteronormativity. And I actually really like compulsory heterosexuality more than heteronormativity, because you can like, you can break down the two words. Compulsory mm-hmm. sounds fucking shitty. That doesn't sound good at all. Um, and then heterosexuality uh, also, uh, well, I mean, you know, whatever, everyone has their own thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I think, I think that that is a more obvious phrase, I guess, Mm -hmm. than hetero, when you say heteronormativity, it's just like very long, compulsory heterosexuality. You can break it down. Yeah. Um, and also I just like, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. (laughs) Oh my God. gender roles um right. <laughs> so i i just wish that there had been like uh some group of people and i know that like adults can't do this but like hanging around outside middle school and as kids would go past they'd be like hey hey you uh come here let me uh have you heard about compulsory heterosexuality um <laughs> i just i feel like that would have helped me out a lot, because I think a lot of people don't realize how ingrained this system is. Yeah, Um, And even when they hear, and this just goes back to like, I don't know, compulsory heterosexuality being a more understandable way to say heteronormativity. Like, I think if people hear heteronormativity, they're like, whatever, that's some like SJW bullshit.
1: Yeah. Um, It sounds very academic. just like in the number of syllables and everything like that
0: way too long of a word and i was like oh there's no way to make it shorter and i say it so many times and it's so many syllables um but yeah so with, were you were you trying to bring up Adrian Rich do you have more history you uh, would like to share? Uh, yeah.
1: No, i was going to bring up the compulsory heterosexuality thing cuz yeah. like it's again like you said it's very descriptive and it and it really kind of i mean i i hate to like kind of like impose this idea upon this Um, but like, it does have a certain feeling of, of, of threat of violence behind it, which is very much the case, unfortunately, in the world in which we live. I Um, feel like
0: it's just way more accurate and way more like, um, visceral. It's like enticing. You're like, Ooh, compulsory. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I, mm." Hmm. But, I also,
1: I, the other thing I was going to bring up is, like, you know, the fact that, like, that this term, like, really first starts to appear in the 90s from, like, Michael Warner and, and his works. Yes. So, but other than that, that was the only thing I was going to add, but, um,
0: sure. yeah. Well, I mean, like, the thing is, is that up until 1973, um, homosexuality was still a psychiatric disorder. Yeah. So no one was, like, trying to examine this as, like, a regular thing that everyone does i think people were probably studying it from a fucking psychiatric disorder point of view so Mm. yeah i'm not like super surprised considering that in the 70s we were still like i don't know gay people should be in a padded room and (sighs) given sedatives (laughs) yes and
1: given electric shock therapy and all other sorts yeah chemically castrated shit
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: good times (laughs)
0: <laughs> Great times. I mean, it's another still, uplifting episode The times are still pretty bad Um, yeah. okay, so Uh, yeah uh, Another way to think about heteronormativity Is that, you know, heterosexual Is normal, not heterosexual Is abnormal Usually bad, unacceptable Discriminated against, etc Like, it's not, um It's just like a set Of and they're not even rules because they're so unspoken. It's like a very cultural idea of like, if you want to be normal and accepted, you will follow the like heterosexual attraction, one man, one woman, act the way your gender should, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the um fact that we live in a heteronormative society, um, sort of has cascading effects of what winds up being acceptable and what's not, and I'm just going to give one example, because this episode's already going to be quite long. Um, Mm. So, you know, under, in our culture, our heteronormative culture, um, society says you must be in a gender-conforming heterosexual couple. Um, So even for people who aren't exactly following the definition of heteronormativity, there is this cascading effect where if you live up to at least part of this idea, it will help you get accepted. Um, so it varies based on who you're around, but certainly like some people or families will value the heterosexual part more than the couple part or vice versa. And then if you do neither, it is somehow, it's not even like an additive effect. If you do neither, like it's just super fucked up. Like you can't, (laughs) I mean, for example, let's just go to the example. Um your family might be okay with you being gay, but like you do have to settle down and live a nuclear family life.
1: Yeah. Um
0: and on the other hand, your family might be fine with you never marrying, less so for women, hope that's obvious. Mm. Um but you should clearly demonstrate that you're like straight and interested in sex and like it's not that. Um so it It gets super fucked up the more you look at the implications of the basic definition because lots of people want nothing to do with any of that. They don't care about this, like, two people in a couple, or sex, or acting the way their gender should, or, uh, yeah, any of it. Just, like, any part of it. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I just want to point out that it has more consequences beyond rejecting the basic definition. It sort of permeates every aspect of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So now that we're all on the same page about the idea of heteronormativity, um, and if you're still confused about the definition or what's going on, uh, you can either wait until I give some examples in a little bit, or you can pause this. (laughs) I don't know. Go read an article Um, But I hope that uh, you all have, you know, a basic working definition of what heteronormativity is and what it does. Um, Mm. So I'm going to go on a little short tangent that does still have to do with heteronormativity. um, But it also dives a little into my own personal life and how this idea of how we should be can be harmful, which for a lot of you, I mean, it's going to be, it's obvious that it can be harmful. But like, yes, for people that haven't, I don't know, started analyzing the way that this affects their life. I think that for me, anyway, hearing the stories of others has really like, I don't know, it's it's helped me a lot. So I will once again, this whole episode is about glazing the surface, but I will glaze the surface of, um, you know, my life. Mm. um, And That also fits in with this idea that I've been kind of thinking about for these episodes because it's um, directed at a community that I think needs a lot of affirming. I've been thinking about, and I don't know if we'll do this, but Mm. um, giving like an affirming sentence at the beginning or end of episodes, you know, either always the same like little catchphrase or changing based on the topic. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's... (sighs) You know one major reason that I really care about this podcast and and have put in the effort to get it going and mm-hmm. have uh you know Maria has put in the effort to get it going um is that i i don't know i I want this to be sort of a community idea where like anyone feeling alone and you know they don't have they they maybe Live somewhere where they can't find a community, or like, you know, they live in a large city and it's hard to find a community, you mm-hmm. know, um, a place for them to come and be like, oh my god, you know, these people get it. Um, so that's why I think about affirming stuff. Um mm-hmm. so oh God, even just researching this episode, um thinking about heteronormativity is just a a difficult thing for me to grapple with and if you haven't started yet, I mean, it's 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 going to be fun. Um hmm. I because of heteronormativity, I know now, but at the time like I didn't realize that I spent most of my life up to now, you know, sort of feeling separate from other people in my sexuality, in my ideas about sexuality and gender, like hmm. everyone else felt differently, which is a part of heteronormativity and I know now that I am not unique in those feelings. Like, it's, it's very hard to feel valid or like your feelings are real um, yeah. in a heteronormative culture. So here is the affirming thing. I want you all to listen if you need an affirming thing. Even if you don't, listen. <laughs> okay, I am telling you, your journey is valuable. I don't care how old you are who you've been with, who you're with now, your feelings about who you are, your sexuality, etc. valid. Your feelings are valid. It does not matter how you're currently presenting or the gender of the person you're with. People come out at all ages and have had all kinds of different histories. And you are still who you are. Like, I don't, the way this fits into heteronormativity is i I think that a lot of people will go, "Oh my god, but you know i've had i've I've had heterosexual sex, you know, I could never be be like truly gay because I've had heterosexual and that's mm-hmm. a ridiculous idea if you think that that is wrong um and w- we will talk about that a little bit more, but please do not let the fear of gatekeeping or some jerk quizzing you about the gender and specifics of your sexual and romantic encounters. um, Just declare who you are as loudly as you want to. Like anyone. Oh, anyone doing that kind of gatekeeping. I don't even I don't even know how I know that people do that in our community. But like, I don't understand why you would like someone who has been well, no, I guess I do understand. If you've been marginalized all your life, you then want to be like, well, you know, here are these check marks to fit into my little club. But it's fucked yeah. up. It's just. Um, would you like to add anything in at this yeah, point? Yeah,
1: just... I, I mean, that's very, very well put. I think, like, and w- with regards to like heteronormativity and how that like factors into all this, like you, a lot of the way heteronormativity. Helps to oppress us, Pardon me for using my Marxist language here. Uh, <laughs> um, the way it affects our material conditions, of course. Um, oftentimes, like for example, in media, I'm I'm bringing this up because you know. It's, oh yeah! Oh uh, yeah! September fifteenth, and of course uh, the the certain author, uh, everyone uh, whose name we know, um, mm. has decided to go ahead and open her dumb mouth yet again, uh, read Great. another book. Sorry, uh, and of course the media is is you know focused on this. Like, oh well, you know. I'm gonna say oh, blah 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 blah, and you of course you're not turning name. shit. Oh, shit. I'll bl- I'm gonna bleep that out when, <laughs> when, we, when I do my editing. Please do. Uh, uh, bet, um, bet. Of course, the media does not turn to us uh, trans folks to get our reaction to it. They don't turn no. to no. the um, you know non heterosexual folks in the world who have a platform, who have a voice, who can actually handle this. No, instead they turn to fucking hybrid. <laughs> uh, fucking because that that's that's definitely the person whose whose opinion on on uh, you know oh, yeah. trans I mean, rights I wanna fucking hear is a uh cishet male. All who has a lot of money.
0: The, all the media wants from trans people is like a an explicit picture of what is in their pants. Like that is all the media cares about. Um, and also probably like, oh my God, how do you, like, how do you have sex though? Like how, I don't, I'm oh going to ask God. you in front of a live audience. Um, oh fucking and can't. just, <laughs> I know it's, yeah. How it's, does
1: that work? It's like, I don't know. Open a fucking
0: book. Yeah. Also, how do you have sex? Would you like to describe it to me in detail? <sighs> what you're, yeah. Fuckers. <laughs> um, okay. So back on topic. Yes. Um, for some of you like this, I, I know this might seem silly. I know. That there are people, and I'm amazed by the stories I hear about people, um, who were confident in their sexuality and gender in middle school or high school or even college. Um, anyone confident about anything in their teens and 20s is a mystery to me. Um, but if you are that confident, completely out-person, that's fucking amazing. That's awesome. Good job. Um, good, good for you. Live, live your life. Um. Yes, absolutely. So, uh back to me now now that i am more comfortable with who i am um one of the things that has really helped me out um is is reading stories of other women who have led similar lives so i know that there are just so 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 many people who live a heteronormative life against their true selves you know they'll marry someone of the heavy quotes, opposite sex, um, have children and die without explicitly stating they're trans or gay or have no interest in living a heteronormative life. Um, and thinking about that for me is really upsetting, but then I also think about the books and news articles I've read of women in their 40s, and this was an actual story I read, women in their 40s who realized they were in love with another married woman and then divorced their husbands and lived happily ever after
1: you um, love to
0: see it yeah it's it's really nice and i think about things like that or try to seek out and read things like that whenever i feel like i've wasted a lot of my life by not confidently being myself um and i'm still in the process of of beating myself up about it and i'm sure some of you are too um mm. and i i realize more and more that the choices I've made have rested on this heteronormative culture that I've been immersed in since I was born. Um, it doesn't make every negative thought disappear. I don't, you know, I don't think anything will. Um, but it does help me redirect the blame to where it should be, not on myself. And, Mm. and you should feel the same way. Like you're- so many people make choices based on the culture they live in and wanting to be normal or or they don't even have the values that the people around them have but they they go for them anyway because it's what they're told to do um yeah yeah so i hope this episode helps anyone who is struggling with heteronormativity um which includes the cisgender heterosexuals um this the United States has this weird shitty culture around gender and sexuality that is constantly shoved in our faces when we do anything. It's all over. Um, Hmm. it's, it's real bad. And once you understand what heteronormativity is and what all the effects are, you will see it everywhere. Um, and I hope, I mean, sometimes it's, Sometimes it sucks because you'll notice it in media and just be like, why is the world like this? Why aren't we better? Um, But uh, I guess no matter where you are in understanding heteronormativity or understanding yourself, I hope that this episode um, makes you feel better, gives you another angle on how hard it can be to go in a different direction when everyone around you is running straight ahead straight ahead straight straight ahead yeah <laughs> i yeah straight Yes. Don't, don't do that um so
1: absolutely do that Hands um all the way down
0: <laughs> um i i do think and i do agree with maria that we should we we're trying to target our episodes for people who aren't Cisgender heterosexuals. But I want to point out that if you are a gender conforming straight person, it should be obvious that no one is saying your choices are the problem. No one's ever said that. Um, the yes. problem is everyone that is forcing you to fit that mold. Um, I mean, you you can fight heteronormativity as a gender conforming straight person. Um, and heteronormativity is super bad for straight people, too. Like, straight mm. cis women often remain in loveless marriages Sexual desires ignored. It's mm-hmm. a deeply ingrained part of heteronormativity. Um, please see my references of basically any blockbuster movie ever where a relationship is present. Yes. Um, it's just Wait, yeah.
1: in, in a lot of like queer communities that I'm a part of online, like there's the running joke that we like to say to about straight people, like like y'all know you're supposed to love your partner, right? <laughs> um,
0: no, they don't. I mean,
1: no, I mean, actually, like a lot of them, it seems like they don't. I mean, I hate to paint with such a broad brush here, but like in a lot of terms, like, like, yeah, exactly. Like, again, the whole point of this compulsory heterosexuality and all this is that it is imposing these ideas, these mores upon not just us queers. (laughs) But on everyone, regardless of your gender present, like your presentation and and your, you know, sexual identity and all that. Even if you are the most cishet person on the face of the planet, you are still having to deal with compulsory heterosexuality.
0: It's fucked up. And it's so, it's just, and of course, who it hurts when we get into the category of cissexual, cisgender heterosexuals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Too many words. Um, is like, it's fucking over women, right? Like it's always, you know, they are expected to just unhappily do all of the dishes always and the laundry and the cleaning and also hold down a full-time job and Mm -hmm. do all the cooking and whatever. Um, yeah, that, that whole thing, that's a part of heteronormativity. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is, uh, so this is a good segue into my examples of heteronormativity Um, and then after that, I will dive into more details of definition, um, but just to get everyone acquainted with the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, it is acceptable to have a marriage picture on your desk at work, but if you are in a same-sex marriage, it's objectionable. And once again, maybe not some workplaces, but like really... Usually, in most workplaces, the picture will be sexualized, which is fucking nuts and something that I have been just like talking about over and over again. Um, for some reason, when people see, you know, two guys or two girls being married, um, that's a sexual image, which it's not with a straight couple. Um, and I don't under. <laughs> Just to say again, what is it about non-straight couples that makes straight people immediately think of sex? Like I don't there could be there's probably a whole book on like history and perceptions, but it's really fucking annoying. Like just not being straight, that's nothing to do with sex. Please stop being weird about it. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, so next example. Um if you are a woman, uh being asked what your husband does, whether he's coming to the company picnic, et cetera, et cetera mm. um occasionally men will get asked about their wife uh but not i don't know i i I don't have evidence to support this other than anecdotes um but I think that women have a much stronger expectation of being in a relationship um and if you are not with someone or even worse if you don't want to be with someone there's clearly something wrong with you. Mm. Um that's heteronormativity. Yes. Yeah. Uh next, the prevalence. Oh, this is this is the one I'm most upset about these days mm. because like I said I'm just noticing it so much more. So much straight romance and sex in most media. Like, and, and when you start to, like, look at it, you're like, why is this even here? This has, like, nothing to do with the plot or this, this doesn't, like, move anything forward. And sometimes it does move something forward because, like, the woman dies and then the guy has to do something. But, like, it's such lazy writing. Um, mm-hmm. And it includes everything. It's film, it's television, it's it's books. And... um. If you make a point to notice it, you'll quickly realize how common it is. And I, I mean, I don't have a problem with relationships or sex. I do have a problem with them constantly being brought up in anything I watch or read or see. Like, I, you know, sometimes I would just like to read a book that has a woman in it, that there's no relationship stuff happening. Because for some reason, there's like, I've read so many books. You know, there's all kinds of ones that are a bunch of men doing non-romantic, non-sex things. But, like, it's very hard to find books that are just women doing non-romantic, non-sex things. So, uh, fuck you, heteronormativity. (laughs) Um, you suck, and I just want to read books that don't have weird sex, straight sex scenes in them. Or sex Mm -hmm. scenes in general, like, it's just not necessary. Okay, final example. Um, so, I mean, talking about sex, um, Mm -hmm. heteronormativity expects that everyone needs sex. Everyone wants sex. It's like, (sighs) someone fucking walk up to me and say biological imperative. I will punch you in your fucking face. Um, (sighs) and then explain why you're an idiot. In fact, I think we talk a little bit in another episode about how. Um, you don't have to reproduce sexually. Um, that's not actually a biological imperative. Uh but anyway. Heteronormativity yeah. expects that everyone needs sex, and if you don't, there's clearly something wrong with you, which is absurd and stupid and ridiculous. And if you don't feel like having sex, absolutely do not. Um okay.
1: Obligatory ace people are valid.
0: Oh my god, yes. Because ace, ace people. people are valid. So valid. Aromantic people, so valid. Mm -hmm. Like, it's fine. You're, yeah. Like, your feelings are valid. It's great. Ignore, you know, blame it on the heteronormativity. Do not blame it on yourself. All right. So finally, it is time for the more rigorous, fun stuff. Um, The following... Notes and ideas for the rest of the episode are from, uh, just gotta cite real quick, um, the Sourcebook of Family Theory and Research, which describes itself as, quote, the definitive reference work on theory and methods for family scholars and students around the world. It is an authoritative reference for scholars and research- researchers in Human Development and Family Studies, Sociology, Social Work, and Psychology. Um, so in particular, the chapter that I read and am basing the rest of this on um is chapter six, which is called Decentering Heteronormativity. Love that title. Mm-hmm. Um it is by Ramona Faith Oswald, Libby Balter Bloom, and Stephen R. Mark. Um that might show up in the show notes, but it is a it is behind a paywall. I'm sure you can order the the text somewhere, um, but yeah, that's it's not open access, which is stupid and bad. All right, so they split heteronormativity up into three categories, um, just to make it easier to think about it because it is such a complex issue. So the three categories are sexuality gender, and family. Um, They're all aspects of heteronormativity. um, And as the authors say, their goal is to help people break apart the complex ideology of heteronormativity so it can be better understood. So let's look at those categories. Um, So they call them binaries, which I, I see what's going on there. I'm going to call them um axes or an axis because mm-hmm. i think that people are more familiar with that term and also there's like i don't know when you talk about an axis i think people think about plotting themselves along it so like uh for example the political spectrum uh left to right i don't know either financially or personally can be thought of as as an axis um yeah. and with this example so there's like a sexuality axis right at one end um you have heterosexuality totally only attracted to the other gender uh, whatever that fucking means Mm. and then at the other end you have only attracted to the same gender
1: uh yes Um, the kinsey scale
0: uh fuck you kinsey well (laughs) uh, mm, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to be said about kinsey but yeah that's that was an episode unto itself yeah it is um yeah So, um, the, the sexuality axis in, in terms of heteronormativity marks heterosexuality as normal, any other form of sexual behavior as abnormal. Um, so the next axis is the gender axis, which, uh, contrasts real... males and females with persons who do not conform to gender stereotypes. Um, And we've already talked a lot about the idea of what the fuck a real male or female is. Sure, we'll probably talk about it more, because it's a stupid Mm -hmm. idea. Um, And then finally, we have the family axis. Um, And if anyone is unfamiliar with the term nuclear family... A nuclear family is a family unit that is exactly two parents and their children. Uh, In heteronormativity, uh, the family binary, or axis, privileges biological and legal ties as genuine family and designates other forms of relations as not genuine, fake, irrelevant, whatever. So... Hmm. I hope, God, just going through that, I was like cringing every time I had to say what the heteronormative thing was. I was like, oh, these are all bad. Um, (laughs) so I don't know. I don't know what everyone else's reactions are, but now I'm going to talk about another thing that they bring up also having to do with heteronormativity, um, in called queering. So we're going to talk about. Yeah, those three axes, sexuality, gender, and family, in the context of queering. Um, And I, so I want to point out, uh, maybe not obviously, for some people, obviously, um, queer and queering are commonly used words now, um, if you're hanging out with the right people. Um, (laughs) And Maria, you you can tell me if you agree with or have anything to add to this like general definition in the way that people use the word. Um, Mm. So- uh queering a space would be being obviously gay trans not cis heterosexual um in a space including in writing in public in you know any on the internet whatever whatever space what do you think
1: yeah no that that's that's perfect and it's actually exactly what I was going to bring up next so good job <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am extremely pro-queering And it, please note, we are using this as a verb Because that's what it is It is an act It is an open act of, a, a, if you will, defiance um, Of normalizing our, our whatever makes us, you know, LGBTQ Yeah, um, makes in my us case, not
0: heteronormativity yeah.
1: <laughs> Like Like, it, and, and for us uh, I'm, I'm going to speak from the trans perspective here Because, you Do know, it. I'm trans um, but like our our mere existence in a lot of cases for those of us who are out full time in quotes, uh, full time and you know open about ourselves, just walking down the street can be an, a queering act in and of itself because you know, yeah, a lot of us don't have the have the luxury of being able to hide our transness, unfortunately, yeah. or fortunately, yeah. depending on how you look at it, really. I
0: mean, um, yeah, it, it does, and, get- and,
1: there's, like, another name for this is, like, you know, homonormativity, which is, yeah. of course, in direct response to heteronormativity. Um, I think that's a good and cool thing, personally. That's me. <laughs> um, I'd hope I mean, most of, my, of, of the listeners here agree with that, too, of course, but, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think any kind—and actually, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but I don't think any kind of rigid rules— are good. So if we're saying homo normative, as, you know, like, a, oh, everyone should be, you know, in a gay relationship that's polyamorous or whatever, like, I don't agree with that either. I think yeah. we should be accepting of all of these. And yeah, it'll that that'll come up a little bit more. Um, so... From this chapter, uh, Dissentering Heteronormativity, uh, we're going to get this more rigorous definition that is used by the people who study these things. Um, Quote, the term queering refers to acts and ideas that resist heteronormativity by challenging the gender, sexuality, and or family binaries um, that I just talked about. So... Mm. Um, and (laughs) we'll talk about the history a little bit more. Oh my God. Mm. Um, so exciting. The idea of queering, like, uh, studying homosexuality is not a psychiatric disorder. Um, the idea of queering is only about 40 years old. Um, the second wave feminist and gay liberation movements, and I was, I was actually a little bit surprised by this. Um, so they saw sought to make deviant unnatural and pseudo legitimate and so they they were still on this very like binary categorization so where heteronormativity had real males um the second wave movement had gender deviance um, there was also uh, natural sex versus unnatural sex and real families versus pseudo-families. So when queer theories emerged in the 1980s, um, part of that was because people were chafing against having to find places on either side of this, like, complete binary opposition. Um, Shout out, Adam, (laughs) 2002. Um, So instead, queer theories moved to this idea of complex gendering complex sexualities complex families it's not a real male versus a gender deviant it's like all of these we're not we're not assigning it deviant or unnatural or pseudo it's more of a you know it's just a different way of being so yeah. it's it's fighting back against the natural versus Unnatural—that's inherent in heteronormativity. So, um, yeah, the the Adam two thousand two study, um, or maybe oh my notes aren't great. Shoot. So it's either that or just the chapter itself. Um, identifies queering as engaging in in any of these complexities of gender, sexuality, or families. Um. And I will briefly talk about each of those. So complex gendering um, includes couples who defy the idea of male and female as opposite. Um, Couples who have a commitment to deep friendship, sharing family financials, equal responsibility for child care, etc. And (laughs) note that the opposite of those things are the heteronormative things. So, like I said, this is bad for straight people, too. It is a Mm. sad fact that many straight married couples in a heteronormative culture do not see the need for a deep friendship or sharing responsibilities or even realizing that men and women are part of the same species and husbands who joke about not understanding their wife and her crazy emotions are just Mm. assholes. (sighs) Um
1: <sighs> thank you for saying it. Thank you for saying it. I appreciate that
0: yeah it's it's just not good mm. um so complex sexualities um include not just heterosexual or homosexual um there's bisexuality and asexuality and not identifying as any sexuality <gasps> and I love this example, so i <laughs> I wanted to include it um It's from a paper. Uh, and the context is it's a female couple who have made a life together. They only have sex with each other. But one of the women in the relationship says, quote, I don't define myself as a lesbian. I just happen to be in love with a woman, which I think Hmm. is, is actually totally great and valid. Like, I think that it can be very hard. I, and I, I have a, a hard time with this too. I don't. Sometimes people don't feel like they want to be called gay or homosexual or lesbian or uh asexual or whatever. They just want to be like, "Hey, this is who I am as a person." Like, I would rather give you a few sentences about it than say I'm a lesbian and have you assume all of the things around that word. Um, mm. so Which is also valid, of course. Yeah, yeah, and That's I I, to- I totally get not wanting to define yourself as that You just want to be like, I don't, I currently love a woman and that's where I'm at. I feel like that's also just more honest. You're like, I don't know what the future holds. Okay. So finally we have, um, complex families, um, including chosen families. Oh, the best Mm -hmm. family. Um, and also just reconfiguring families in ways that defy conventional claims of what a family is and who belongs in it. Um, I think that this is actually one of the most common examples of queering in people who would otherwise consider themselves staunchly heterosexual and traditional, um, and the example I have, um, is that many people would say a conventional family must be all biologically related and don't understand why anyone would... Even adopt a child that is not genetically related to them. So a married couple, even if they're heterosexual and conventional, um a married couple that decides to adopt is queering the idea of family. Um and that, of course, is pretty common. So it's another thing that if you start to look for examples of queering, I, I think you will see it both more than you expect, but then unfortunately also. Less than you expect. Um, But there's other examples that you might be familiar with that we don't even think of as queer. um, Like people who refer to non-genetic relatives as brothers and sisters and cousins. Incredibly Mm -hmm. common. Um, Or some rich aunt who disowns her biological genetic family and puts a non-genetic daughter as inheritor of her estate. That's... That's wearing the idea of families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Interesting.
1: I didn't I didn't make that connection either. So that's, yeah, that's no,
0: and, and I well, this <laughs> another part of this podcast is these are things that I just like think about a lot. <laughs> so mm. um, I, I like seeing examples like that. And sort of, you know, you can sort of chuckle to yourself, you know, that person that is uh referring to a non genetic relative as brothers or sisters or cousins is in a very small way bucking heteronormativity like that mm-hmm. that yeah um so finally we're about to wrap up here but um i want to it's god it's almost like a maybe a foreshadowing cuz maybe we'll have an episode on this i would really like to but uh in this chapter Um, there was a description of a study, um, and, and in the context of the chapter, they wanted to show an intersection of the gender and sexuality axes. And that's why they brought up this, this Mm -hmm. research study that happened. Um, so (laughs) I will, I could do a whole episode discussing these findings and their implications. Um, the general finding of the study is something I think about a lot. And, uh, you'll, you'll hear the actual study in a second, but the general finding is that when men act outside what's expected for their gender, they are insulted by being called gay. And when women act outside their gender, uh, they are insulted in two ways. And sometimes it is by being called gay. Uh, but in a way that, like, it's clear, it's not the sexy kind of gay that, you know, mm. straight men love. Um, so people will, will like, use the word dyke. So, you know, let's, let's be clear, no, huh, no man is sexually attracted to, you know, that's the whole connotation yeah. of the word dyke. Um, but the second way of insulting women who act outside their gender is by pointing out that their behavior makes them less heterosexually desirable. Because, of course, women know that the most important thing that they must always be is sexually attractive to men. Um, very important. Fuck you, heteronormativity. Yes. But I, I, I think that that is an interesting thing to think about, where uh, men, even when they're being insulted by being gay, they're not being insulted... By not being sexually desirable, um, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily, you know, any kind of queer LGBT thing that I guess is more of a woman's issue, but infuriating nonetheless. Okay, so here's the study. Researchers collected more than 650 gender transgression narratives from undergraduate students over a period of 15 years. And I do want to point out, of course, when you're looking at undergrads, you know, that's a very specific subset. Nonetheless, given that caveat, um, I, I think that the findings hold up. So each student violated a gender norm in public and then wrote an account of what he or she or they um, did. Thank you. And how people responded. Each was assisted by a covert peer observer. The students' departures from gendered behaviors were often seen as showing something about their sexuality. Even seemingly non sexual acts, such as a woman buying a cigar or a man wearing a dress, were interpreted sexually. Further, males were homosexualized and females were heterosexualized. That is, people responded to the men's gender transgressions by derogatorily labeling them as gay, whereas women received comments about how their transgressions increased or diminished their heterosexual desirability. These comments typically located women as either sluts or dykes. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: did, does it mention where and when the study took place?
0: Um, it, <laughs> it probably does in the actual thing. Um, uh-huh. I think that this was in the 2000s um, in America. Uh, hmm. Yeah, like I said, university campus. That's,
1: that's very interesting because like, uh, I, at, at my university back in Alabama... Uh, actually, there was a, a, sociology professor that did exactly that with their class. Oh! Um i i don't i did I was not in i wasn't in the class myself a couple of my really good friends were though that's how I know about this and I wonder if that's either like in response to this study or if by some weird coincidence this is the study' That'd be very
0: interesting <laughs> i mean that seems like if I were a sociology professor, I would totally be having my students do this both hmm. as data points but also like just as a way to realize like how much shit you can get for buying a fucking cigar or wearing a piece of clothing. Like it's, it's pretty absurd.
1: Yes. Oh yes it is.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think it's good too for, aside from the data points, um, straight people to have that experience. And I, I think a lot of people who are completely conforming to heteronormative ideals uh, have no idea how, I mean, what the reaction is um, when you defy any of that. And this is, like, a very simple, quick way for them to get the teeniest, insiest taste of what mm. it can be like.
1: Yeah. And well, I think that's good. I agree.
0: Yeah. So, that's, that's it. That's all I have. That is the end of this cool. episode. Good stuff. Good stuff.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, um, yeah, no. I, that that was cool. That was good. I like it. <laughs> um, of course, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or wanna reach out and just get more information, please feel free to contact us, leave a comment, or whatever. Uh yeah, it's the internet. Everyone knows how the internet works at this point.
0: <laughs> I um, yes, I think so.
1: Probably. Okay, but yeah, that is the episode. Um Yeah. Yeah.
0: Alright. See you next Thank time. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.